Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be reading our scripture this morning. We're in John chapter 17. Uh, We'll be looking at verses 6 through 11, so you can follow along on the screen. John 17, verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Stepping into a conversation about missions, God's heart for the world and for his church, through this uh, singular prayer in John's gospel. And this is a moment later in Jesus' life and ministry uh, it's, you know, it's, it's the setting of this. this is the Last Supper. He's, you know, very close to the, to the cross. And uh, we're drawn in in John's gospel to this sort of intimate moment, a private moment of prayer that we're clearly meant to overhear as Jesus prays, a, a lengthy prayer uh, for the disciples and for the world in which they will live. And last week we saw, so what we've done is we're just reading a bit by bit, although my reflection this morning will sort of uh, go beyond the bounds of what we read. But as we hear the prayer week to week, I I just want to point up some themes that I think uh, run throughout. And we saw that last week, sort of the central theme, uh, a central theme that shows up again and again throughout this prayer is God's glory. And that it's a surprising sort of aspect of his glory. It's his glory as it's revealed in Jesus uh, approaching this hour, he says, laying down his life uh, for the world. God's glory specifically displayed in the cross of Jesus for the church and the world. But this week we find, I think, another, I don't know if it's more, but maybe equally perhaps a surprising theme at the center of God's heart for the church and the world. And it's a word or a notion that maybe is not always front of mind when you think about missions or, uh, you know, in, uh, engaging the world for and with Uh, Jesus, but that theme, that word is is holiness. And uh, it it appears, uh, a form of this word appears just outside of the passage that we read, although the theme is prevalent in what we read. But in in, in just a verse or two after what we read, Jesus specifically says, would you sanctify? He uses the word sanctify them, which is to make them holy, to set them apart. Would you sanctify them, he says. And, and we're, immediately with that word, we're ushered into, we're drawn into the conversation of holiness. And I don't know about you, I don't know what your relationship is with church, you know, where you are in the conversation of faith, but I would wager that for many of us, holiness is a loaded word. It's, it's a weighty uh, word. And I, we probably all grew up with maybe different notions of it, or if we grew up with it at all, you know, oftentimes uh, in, in different sort of spheres, the experience can be something like, you know, Jesus and his grace get you in, but holiness is sort of like what well, keeps you at the table, right? Come one, come all, Jesus loves us, but now that you're here, we need you to kind of get it together, earn your spot 
at the table. Uh, C.S. Lewis is helpful for me here. I was chatting with some of you recently, reminding me of his work, The Weight of, of Glory. And in his introduction to that moment, he's talking again about these similar themes, glory, God's sort of uh, set apartness from the world, and now we're, we're drawn into that story. Uh, he describes it like this. He's like, if you were to ask folks, you know, it's kind of random sampling, what the highest virtue is, um, many would say unselfishness. He said, but Christians of old, that would not have been their answer. Their answer would have been love. And I use this example as sort of a tangential sort of uh, analogy. He says, you see what's happened here. We say unselfishness, but previously it was love. He said, we've replaced a positive word uh, with a negative one, substituted a negative term uh, for a positive one. And he says, this has significance more than just sort of playing with words. Because he says, the negative idea of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion, not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves. As if, and this is the key phrase here, as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. And then he says, I, I do not think this is the Christian virtue of love. It's, a, it's an interesting way into the conversation of holiness because I wonder if we don't do the same thing with this word. I think, at least for me, in my limited experience and uh, my relationship to this word, I do think oftentimes we make a similar move. We substitute a negative for a positive. Holiness becomes about abstinence, and whatever the object might be, uh, it becomes a, a negative rather than the primary thing I think we hear in this prayer that it is, which is a good that is on offer to us from God our Father. There, there are numerous ways into the conversation, and we've referenced his work before, but there's a guy by the name of David Zoll who, who a few years ago wrote a little book called Seculosity, and he's playing with the word religiosity, which again, we're in the family of holiness, right? What it means to be enough to whatever that sphere is to show that you are sort of set apart and are enough. And in it, he, his assertion is that, you know, while maybe we're less religious with regard to spiritual things in the church, we're just religious about all sorts of other things. And so over the course of the, the book, he steps into all the different spheres of human life. And they're just, a, it's a ran, not a random, but a smattering of he could have chosen any number of topics. But illustrates how we've taken what we used to find in religion, perhaps. And now we're searching for it in all of these other places to sort of assert our righteousness, our in enoughness. Whether it's busyness or romance or technology or work or leisure or food or politics, left or right. And yes, even the church, liberal or conservative, he says oftentimes we're, we're making the same move. And this is how he describes it in the, the church. That in, he, you know, in playfully, Jesus land, he calls us. He's writing for a, a broader audience than just the church. But in Jesus land, he says, we see this move take place. It takes root when the law supplants grace as Christianity's last word. We, we subvert the hymn, he says, with our addition. You guys know the hymn, I once was lost, but now I'm found. He said, we, we subvert the hymn and, and add our own additions. I once was lost, but now I'm found, so I better stay that way. And we start asking ourselves, if, if, if Jesus caught and embraced us when we fell off the ladder of life, then why does it feel like I'm on a new ladder? This time a religious one or a spiritual one. He says the seculosity of like this sphere, our sphere this morning, uh, it seeps into this place, into the church, when the church turns into yet another avenue to establish your enoughness rather than the only reliable place to receive.
You, you hear what he says there? That, that we take the same thing we do in our vocation and, and all the places we try to prove that we're enough. We bring that same move into the church and the final word is no longer, this is a place where you receive it. It's a place where you prove it. And he says, when that happens, we, we've made the, the same move away from God's grace and into law. I say all of this to set up uh, this prayer that Jesus draws us into this morning. I want to make two observations and then we'll, we'll, we'll close with a final thought. But I think Jesus in this prayer, as he prays for the disciples, he'll say explicitly everyone who will believe because of their message, that's you this morning and me, uh, that he presents holiness to us as something received rather than something achieved. That he, he uh, in this prayer, draws us into holiness as a good on offer, a gift to you, rather than something you sort of prove through what you can achieve. So the first observation I want to make uh, from this passage that we've read this morning in its context is that I, I, I think it's an interesting move that Jesus makes here, that the first sort of move he makes with holiness is, is he, he presents holiness to us as belonging, specifically as belonging to the Father. The security of belonging to the Father. Uh, that that it, we, we see it here in verse 6, and, and, and then he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. They are his people. You're yours they were, he says, and you've given them to me, and they have kept your word, for they are yours, he says later. And then in verse 10, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them, all through this language is the language of belonging. These are disciples who belong to the Father. Holiness comes just like it did for Jesus. It, it, it's it's a it's uh, tied to it's tied up in their respective relationship, yours and mine, to the Father. We, you, belong to Him. Not just that you and I belong to Him, but that it's His initiative. Right, He is the one who, who takes the step. Jesus' prayer is not that they would be holy, but that the Father would make them holy. It's a small distinction, but, but an important one. He asked the Father himself to sanctify them. You, Father, make them holy. It's not only that we belong to the Father, but that belonging is his initiative. Lewis is helpful for me again in the weight of glory. He, he says glory is kind of, uh, he describes it as like, if, you know, in his description, it's the fact of being noticed by God. And we might say that holiness is the effect of that move. God has seen you. You belong to him because of the work of Christ. He has moved into your life, uh, your sins taken up and what he has done. You are his. And now the effect of that belonging, uh, that noticing of you from the father, its effect as it has worked out in your life is holiness, not something you achieve, something he has done for you, his initiative. Verse 11, holy father, keep them. He's asking the Father, you keep them which you have given me. You sanctify them. And then in that, in that move in verse 17, we didn't read it, but he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Man, it's a, it's a, it's a short phrase. 
is thick with significance. We know in John's gospel, he begins his gospel with the declaration, the word made flesh is Jesus. He is God's word. Uh, in the prayer, Jesus will talk about all that he has instructed them, the words he has given them. They are tied to who he is and what he has done and the hour and work that he is stepping into on the cross. Through all of this, he says, your proximity to me is what works holiness in your life. You are held on to, you belong to the Father. It's his initiative uh, working in your life and through his word, the work and word of Jesus, your proximity to him, that you receive, not achieve, but receive holiness, righteousness, in, in, enoughness, rest from the pressure to hold up what you think makes you deserve it. Jesus is, again, I just think it's an interesting move. He's telling us that holiness is a good on offer through him, belonging, more than it is a ladder you got to climb or the degree of abstinence you can express in your life. I have recently been reminded about a book we read uh, when, our, when our daughters were younger. Enid Blyton wrote a book called The Faraway Tree. Thank you, Flats. But uh, I've been drawn back into this world again and forgotten how much we enjoyed it. She was writing just before, uh, sorry, not yet, my bad. It's all right, Andrew. Yeah. I'm so sorry, man. I'm sorry for a number of reasons. Everyone's really disappointed because they were like, oh, sweet, we're out of here. And now you're like, this is just the introduction? No. Man, that's, that's, that's all on me, Andrew. I'm, I'm sorry, friend. So uh, Enid Blyton, she's writing in the shadow of World, world War II. Uh, it's about to sort of break open uniquely in the world. And she creates this sort of incredible world of escape for children. And this magical tree and an enchanted wood and the delightful characters. If you haven't experienced it, you don't have to have kids to enjoy it, although it probably helps. But like the audiobook, Kate Winslet is the reader, and it's incredible. She just does a remarkable job. But, but these children are, you know, in exploring this magical tree, and they're meeting all sorts of fun characters along the way. It's an enormous giant tree. It, it whispers to them, whish, whish, right? And along the way, they meet characters like Silky the Fairy and Moonface and Dame Washalot, who's always doing laundry and dumping water down the tree and getting the people below her wet, and, uh, you know, Mr. What's-His-Name and the Angry Pixie. There's just so many fun characters. But at the top of the tree is a ladder, and when the, the children get to the top of the tree and they climb the ladder, at the top of that ladder, the, 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 the worlds just rotate. You never know what you're going to find. Some of the lands are amazing. The land of birthdays, and, uh, the land of, you know, take what you want, and the land of goodies, the land of do as you please. I mean, you're like, sweet, please show me this ladder. Uh, but, you know, there are other lands as well. The land of tempers, the land of the old woman. I don't remember that one, but, uh, you know, no offense intended. And, and the land of topsy-turvy where everything is upside down. And it, it, it occurs to me, I appreciate the reminder being drawn back again into this world, that sometimes I think holiness is like that. We, we in our hearts, bent towards sort of law and proving ourselves, holiness is a ladder we climb. And if we, if we can get high enough, we'll be, oh, Okay, and we'll prop that ladder against any wall we can find, which is David Zoll's point. And even the religious ones will prop it against those walls. But I'm, I'm afraid, I think what happens is what we find is that as we climb that ladder, man, the world keeps 
changing and whatever we thought was enough is not enough and, and there's always sort of some unpleasant perhaps surprise waiting for us which is why I think what Gerhard Forde the, the, the theologian uh, wrote uh, is so powerful he says the problem is we're going up the down staircase that our view of holiness is we're so bent on being better we, we spend all of our energy trying to go up the down staircase and that I think is what Jesus is telling us with this prayer he has come down he has come down holiness is his work all of the energy and effort your disciples will expend to climb to be enough I mean they have proven repeatedly even at this point in the story that they are decidedly not enough they will deny they will betray they will misunderstand, like he'll try to wash his feet just prior to this. And they're like, no, 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 that's not what's happening here. Like they, they will miss all of the cues. And yet, Jesus prays for them. Holiness is something you receive because of what my father has done through me for you. You don't have to climb the ladder. I'm coming down. And that is gracious and good news for all of us but it's not just that holiness is sort of belonging in a way that you don't achieve one other aspect that we'll consider more briefly and you're thankful for it um, is that out of that belonging he talks about holiness as mission right that it's it's not holiness for sort of personal piety's sake He'll make the move. It's, it's that out of our belonging to the Father, we are now secure in the world. Right? He, he, he'll pray, which he brings us into a conversation we were in a month or so ago as we were walking through 1 Thessalonians. Right? That in this moment, he takes us to a similar place, similar questions regarding our posture to in for the world. Jesus does what Paul did in Thessalonians. He acknowledges tension, hostility, that... Perhaps, right, belonging to the Father changes the way you relate to culture and the world around you. So what do you do with that tension? How do you respond? What does the life of holiness look like in that place, at work, at home, as you engage politically and civically, in leisure, as you step into all these spheres of your life? What does belonging to the Father mean for you there? And I think we do the same thing that probably would have been a temptation for those first Thessalonians that Paul wrote to. One is the luxury of compromise, right? Just no difference. We're just, you know, just one happy family. But Jesus' prayer doesn't allow that. The Father has sanctified them, made them separate, but yet he's left them in the world. So compromise is an option. What about disengagement? We'll just pull away and like head in the sand. We don't have to like, will you, there, us, here, that isn't an option either. Listen to what he prays. Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I'm coming to you, he says. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. And then he continues. He gets explicit. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from evil. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And in a move that we'll consider here in a few moments, right, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And in just a moment, he'll make a turn out of that being made holy. He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Holiness, then, is 
belonging to the Father, received as a gift. And out of that security, you are set free to live courageously in the world. We're not pulled out of the world for which Jesus himself will lay down his life in just a few hours. We are, we are left in it, placed in it, but secure now for the world in a way that um, is, will never be the same because of the security we have for belonging to the Father. And once again, personal piety is not really the objective. Sure, it's a part of it, but but what's, what's really happening here, it, it seems, is that Jesus is praying that through their being made holy, God's glory would continue to be expressed in and for the world. Belonging to the Father, secure, received uh, as gifts, now you are free to live in the world unafraid, not withdrawing, not angry, not contentious, not fearful, but full of security and the love of the Father, able to serve and love the world. God's glory, working holiness, you and me resting there and out of that, living into and for the world. Jesus does one other word. We didn't read it this morning. It's where I want to land this morning. Holiness is belonging. Holiness is mission. We see in this prayer, but one other observation he prays just a verse or two after that I think is tied to this theme. And it's a surprising move. This is what he says in verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy. Of all the things he could have said there, it's interesting to me that joy is the word he would tie to their being made holy. I don't know about you, but if you think about holiness at all or righteousness or self-righteousness, that whole family of words, safe bet joy is not a word we associate with that family of, of concepts. And yet Jesus here prays specifically that those two things would be linked. Holiness alongside words like belonging and mission and joy is, I think, a radical move. And yet it's what Jesus prays for you. If I could take you back to the faraway tree. There we go, Andrew. Right. <laughs> we, we, I talked about this character a few years ago, actually. I was kind of going back and look, and, uh, but you know, if you remember, just enjoy it again. And if you don't, here we go. But I think it has relevance here. But one of the characters whom I did not name is Mr. Is a, he, he goes by the name Saucepan Man. And uh, he's covered in saucepans, right? like uh, pots and pans, and he just clanks around, right? You can imagine an effect of that would be uh, his hearing has been adversely affected, right? And Kate Winslet does it beautifully. So the, the humor in the story is that every time he has a conversation with a character, uh, you know, the character will say something, and he'll repeat back to them, like he's totally misheard them and does it in his sort of raspy, saucepanny man way. I don't know what that proper word is, but you get the idea. Well, when my kids were little, we had a lot of fun with it. Right, like we we any any you know we'd be like they'd be like daddy daddy can I go first and I'm like I love a starburst right like uh, I'm sorry I didn't hear you right we just we just had a lot of fun with it, daddy daddy will you do my laundry tonight right or you know will you do my clothes tonight yes it is very bright you know and just like totally ignore what they say because you know I've misheard them which was a lot of fun until it backfired right we're at dinner and I'm like can you guys clear your dishes we haven't got any fishes right. You know? <laughs> They got to the point, at one point, they're like baiting me, you know, they're like trying to have a little bit of 
fun with me, and uh, it, was a, it was a fun moment. But here's what I think. I think holiness for us has been cluttered with, like, pots and pans. Man, those guys are having a great time. I don't know who is their teacher, but we should all join them, right? I, I, think, I think holiness for us has been cluttered with all sorts of pots and pans, and we've misheard it. We, we have so often misheard it that it's abstinence or it's transformation that you achieve, something you do, something you prove that you belong. Jesus got you here, but man, now I'm enough. And we've, mis, we've misheard it. Jesus' prayer reminds us that it's a gift of belonging to the Father, a work he has done for you. And that out of the security of that relationship, you are set free to live in and for the good of the world. Man, I got to wrap it up. C.S. Lewis finally takes us into the world of joy, again in the weight of glory. Kind of in the family of like enoughness and holiness. Listen to what he says. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, right? You could insert any sort of category there, any space in which you try to be enough to fulfill, like I am enough, I am here, right? You, you could substitute any number of categories there that he, he uses those three. He says it's not that we're like, you know, he says we're fooling about with, with, with these things when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who's making mud pies because we cannot imagine what it is meant to be. And, you know, he was a bread off on a holiday at sea. We, he says, are too easily pleased. Interesting to me that as Jesus prays for your holiness and mine, he links it to joy. The joy of being at rest in the love and care of the Father, secure there in such a way that it changes us. Holiness received and then opened up and set free to live in and for the world. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to hear that good news. Jesus' prayer for you. Maybe your knuckles are white on the rungs of whatever ladder you are trying to climb. Or maybe for you, every rung on the ladder feels out of reach. You're like, I've tried and tried and I just can't reach it. I keep falling off. Hear the prayer of Jesus for you. You don't have to climb it. You're going up the down staircase. I'm coming to you. Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at parkcitykc.com.